Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper Gotta get the paper Every morning gotta go and get the paper And a nice cup of coffee Or the one with two espresso shots and it call red eye Okay, so welcome to episode 8 of the Great Underreaction Podcast A satirical sports podcast with me, Callum White And as always, Andrew Ernesto Seaton Andrew, how are you? <laughs> Sorry, I was a bit off. Did you just drink? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was just having a sip of my tea. <laughs> that was. <laughs> I was looking at. I was reading something, a message on WhatsApp while you did the intro. <laughs> I'll be honest, I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. <laughs> Such a good start. It's the same. It's literally the same every single time. It's the only thing in the podcast that's predictable, and I'm going to pull back the curtain for those who don't get to see how the, the sausage is made. Just before I hit record, we're already talking, and I said, are you ready? And Andrew said, yes. I said, are you excited? He said, yes. We started, wasn't ready. It's tea for me because it's uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. By the way, by the way Happy uh, New Year. Happy festive time. Yes. Happy holidays. That was secular. Happy non religion specific yes. time of year. Yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, I'm doing dry January. So, oh. This is my first uh, dry podcast episode as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm on my second gin and tonic. So, oh. um, uh, but you, will, you have reason My performance to get will an be lackluster as normal. <laughs> no, indeed. Uh, I'll probably be doing a dry February, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how was uh, how was your festive time? Um, it was oh, okay. See, when you hesitate that long, there's no hiding the fact that some of it wasn't that fun. <laughs> no, I drank too much. I drank too much, and I didn't sleep enough. And the combination of doing that with a three-year-old is te- just terrible. Uh, oh, you can't be drinking too much with your three-year-old. No, it's just the the uh, Helen's family are really enjoy a drink. Let's put it that way. So it's right. like drinks are just offered to you from four p.m. till one a.m. multiple days in a row, and uh, I really regret it now. I feel like yeah. I maybe didn't do enough rejuvenation in my holiday. But I mean, it's the only way you can get through. There is that. There is that side of things. I'm probably just seeing the negative. I'm just seeing the negatives like usual. How was your um, uh, holiday period in, in southern Wales? It was okay, yeah. It was fine. Uh, pretty pretty laid back, to be to be honest. We didn't really do anything for New Year. We went and saw a film, and then uh, we were in bed by like quarter past twelve. And then, you know, um, all very old person-y, to be honest, which is... What, what film was it? Suits me. When Harry Met Sally. Oh, that's a great film. You know, coincidentally, me and Helen watched that about a month ago. Oh, did you? Oh, well, now off air, we can converse about the plot since both of us have seen the whole thing. Yeah, Helen was like, I think I've seen this film. And then it turned out that she'd only seen the scene when, um, is it Meg Ryan? Meg Ryan pretends to have an orgasm in a cafe. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't seen that, but I had seen Jamie Redknapp imitate it in the same cafe. Um, <laughs> what? Was that on a league of their own? 
Yeah. <laughs> so that was a weird, weird reference point to be going into. <laughs> and you um, very successfully brought it back to sport. Well done, Cal. Yes. Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Um, no, I'm just going to... I had one last year that I didn't manage, which was to try and run a triathlon. So I've just... I've just moved that forward to this year because uh, I didn't oh, manage it last that's year. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Mine is to try and like just have a little bit more energy in my demeanor so that I don't sound like a, like I'm sort of a cross between bored and asleep slash have the flu. So let's see how that, that goes for this podcast. This is me bringing my – I'm bringing the energy today, guys. This is my energy. <laughs> Oh, oh, this is going to be good. I think that's that's one of the things about uh, doing a podcast is that you then listen to your voice back and you're like, "Oh my god, Callum, just like fucking pair up, man. What's wrong with you?" Yeah, where's the variation? There's no like lightness and melody in my voice. <laughs> Why do you only speak in that one terrible tone for the whole show? Use your mouth to talk, not your nose, Callum. Good oratory. It has slow dramatic bits and also bits when people are talking really quickly and yeah and yeah <laughs> yeah and yes <laughs> example of great oratory yeah oh well that's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not something that you can just will into existence like a new way of speaking i don't know if you could do that can you do it we'll find out yeah. it doesn't seem like it based on my response to that question does it <laughs> <laughs> We'll find out. <laughs> Can you do it, Callum? <laughs> Don't know, maybe. Might be able to. How is your Andy hand. Murray? Yeah. Andy Murray. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how I just merge into Andy Murray sometimes. Um we should go on to our we should go on to our great underreaction. Um because mm-hmm. this was the intro and pithy banter section. But before we do, um we want to give a shout out to our friend Louisa, who had to have an emergency operation over the festive time and is recovering in hospital she had an emergency operation at 1am on boxing day so i mm. think it's safe to say she didn't get the a team of surgery at that moment in time but they did a great job seems so, a bit racist how is it racist <laughs> because all the hospitals staffed by non-christians oh, i didn't think about that I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> she got oh, the Indians. That's what I'm you're right. saying. And it was terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Louisa. Um, I spoke to her a bit earlier. I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think she had too much Gaviscon. <laughs> I don't think we should be talking details. Just say, you know, get the whole point in this message is just get well soon, Louisa. Not anything about well Gaviscon. Gaviscon or, or my racism. Yeah. yeah. More get well, Louisa, less Gaviscon and racism. That's our message for 2019. <laughs> Should we go to the great underreaction? Fucking please, yes. Okay, so uh, it's my turn for the great underreaction. This week, I have gone into the annals of history. Callum, you're a historian. 
and you know what it's like to go through the archives. And for me, it was the Guardian website. (laughs) Is it shite? Thanks for that kind (laughs) analysis. (laughs) That's what it is. I I trolled through uh, the top. It just came up as like a top hit on um, my Google search. So it's from 2005 on the Guardian website. And Mm -hmm. the title of the article is Are Football Fans Idiots? And then it's a big, it's a really long piece, actually, in which uh, the journalist, I forget his name now, um, Sean Ingle. Sean Ingle basically says all the things that he thinks are wrong with football and why everyone's an idiot for liking football. Um, Mm. Yeah, so I thought this would be a good uh, topic of conversation because we've just finished a year um, and we watched a lot of football in 2018. And if you're anything like me, you probably enjoyed some of it disliked more than you enjoyed and maybe wondered why you spent so much time doing that mm-hmm. so um it's like a retrospective uh, we'll see if we agree with sean ingle um and also right. in what he he suggests we can do to make football better and i want to talk more about that because i think that's more interesting okay yeah that sounds cool. really good great that was me bringing my positive vibes that sounds really good andy that sounds fucking great, Andy. Let's go. Next segment. <laughs> you got, you don't know why more, I have to be Glaswegian. More, yeah, more, <laughs> more Ouija. Than, it turns out that this sort of like crazy, slightly hysterical guy is Glaswegian. It's quite natural, yeah. actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Let's fucking go. Vauxhall Nova. Sorry, I don't know why I thought, <laughs> I I thought that. <laughs> GlasgowSurvival.com makes it yes, a surprise appearance. Just about to mention it. It had the Glaswegian keyboard, right? And you could click any letter and then it would say a phrase. And e- yeah. X was XTC sets me free. <laughs> <laughs> and, and A was asshole. Oh, God. Oh, that was a fun tangent. I didn't think I was going to be thinking about that. Anyway. That's not going to make the edit, to be honest. Is it? Oh, um, actually, I'm in charge of fucking post. So, you're in charge of the post. Yeah, power has shifted. So, I'm doing post for the excited first excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm going to be benevolent with the power and not lord it over you. As an example of how you should be. <laughs> okay, I'd like it noted. Yep. It would have been slightly more yep. honourable to not call attention to it, but I'm I'm not that honourable. I don't no. know because now I know that I'm not editing. I'm behaving oh. with more reckless abandon. But you should be more conservative because I've got the power. Like this whole section's not making it. <laughs> you don't know. You don't fucking know what's going to make it in, right? <laughs> right. I'm going to make it. Sound... What was our great underreaction? <laughs> I can't remember. Fuck. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's do it quickly. Right. Uh, so I'm going to summarize the article because I don't really want to talk about too much about what he says because I think we've all heard it all before. Um, yeah. So basically. Here's what's wrong with football and why football fans are idiots. Football is too expensive now. It has elastic prices. So when the price goes up, uh, demand only reduces very slightly, which means that they can basically screw you over. As a result, the atmosphere has died because working class people are being priced out. So the atmosphere is a bit shitter now. And also um, TV money's come into it. So now... Lots of matches happen at weird times, like 5 p.m. on a Sunday, which is just not going to have yeah. the same atmosphere as 3 p.m. on a Saturday. 
It's also yeah. supposed to be more predictable. We talked about that, I think, last episode. Apparently, yeah, um, 75 to 85, 13, 1975 to 1985, 13 different teams finished in the top four. Uh, 13 different teams finished in the top four between 1985 and 1995. So that's 13 for two diff- decades in a row. And then since then, it's gone down to six in the average, uh, on average the last two decades since then. Yeah. So it's and one of those was Leeds. Right. Blackburn. I don't know. Uh, no, Newcastle. Oh, yeah, Newcastle maybe. Anyway, so um, it's more predictable. So then it's shit as well, right? Atmosphere, it's expensive, it's predictable. There's oil money in the game now. And because this was written in 2005, this was like right at the start of Abramovich, I think, must have been the guy they were thinking of. Like oil money suddenly just arrived on the scene. Uh, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea have just suddenly become a force just because they've got oil money. Um, so yeah. you've got this whole side where basically you can buy the league if you have a, a um, an oil sugar daddy. And then, um, so that's all the problems with the game. And then fans persist, persist with supporting teams because of dumb reasons like loyalty. And that's basically, mm. he's like, yeah. So, so that you, was in 2005. That was in 2005 this was written. Yeah. Yep. And it's quite fun to read it just because uh, all of the references are about like um, Stephen Gerrard getting abuse for even just considering a move to Chelsea and uh, yeah. Liverpool winning the Champions League and stuff. Anyway, um, so what can be done? Um, so the, he praises supporters' trust a little bit, but um, this is what I really want to talk about. Uh, So here's a quote. Uh, Football, for all its faults, is still the best sport in the world, but it's become increasingly an ugly mix of Thatcherite greed and Gradgrindian inequality. I had to Google Gradgrindian. Do you know what that refers to? No idea, no. This is like peak Guardian football writing, I think. So apparently there was Gradgrind was a strict school teacher in a Dickens oh, and Dickens, right? Yeah, yeah, and it means like a it means like a fo- focusing too much on numbers and stats. You're right, something like that. I think. Anyway, um, it needs to, football needs to be taken down a peg. The supporters are the best ones to do it. So here's a plan: start by refusing to become a slave to football's pointless merry-go-round every summer. Instead, <laughs> get out more, enjoy the sporting summer, Wimbledon, the Open. The flat season, which I, I don't know what the flat season is, rugby league, cricket, whatever, all sports where Corinthian values haven't yet been splayed by a pernicious win-at-all-cost mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you took less interest in football, the media might too. And then football's imperialism will be weakened. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea. Um do you know there's another Guardian, Pete Guardian quote there, Corinthian values? Corinthian values. Do you know what that refers to? Is it something to do with, um, like, rule by the peoples or, like... No, see, I thought, like, Corinthian, like, the, you know, yes, the the historical people, the yeah. Corinthians. It's, <laughs> that's what I thought. I thought it was, which, you know, wouldn't look out of place in a Guardian article. Um, yeah. about sports um it refers to a football team 
Corinthian FC, an English football team. And they apparently, the Corinthian spirit is the spirit of gentlemanly amateurishness as epitomized by this English football team, Corinthian FC. And uh, so then I went on this like rabbit hole down the Corinthian FC, right? So here's a quote from an article in the New Statesman. Uh, Teams should behave more like the Corinthians used to do back in the 1900s. They were totally amateur, public school, Oxbridge team that put fair play and moral values above such sordid and vulgar things as winning. They never argued with the ref or entered any competition where there was a prize. <laughs> if by chance the other man, the other team lost a man, either sent off or through injury, they immediately and voluntarily sent off one of their own men just to keep things even. Their, <laughs> from the Wikipedia page, their spirit was summed up in their attitude to penalties. As far as they were concerned, a gentleman would never commit a deliberate foul on an opponent. On, a, on an opponent. So if a penalty was awarded against the Corinthians, their goalkeeper would stand aside, lean languidly languidly on the goalpost and watch the ball being kicked into the net. (laughs) And then conversely, if the Corinthians themselves won a penalty, their captain would take a short run up and give the ball a jolly good whack and chip it over the crossbar. Um, They sound like a bunch of aliens. The club might have won the FA Cup many times had they competed, but that, that goes against their ethos of not competing for prizes. But shortly after Blackburn Rovers beat Queen's Park in the 1884 final, Corinthians beat their beat Blackburn 8-1. So they were like a combination of like up themselves and very good at football. Oh, wow. Anyway, it's like a little aside there. And uh, they're why Real Madrid have the white strip, because they were inspired by the Corinthians. Oh, that's good education there, Andre. Yeah, well, there you go. See what you can learn when you go back to 2005 and you read articles written by Guardian journalists and they use yeah. words that you don't know. Yeah. Oh, very impressive. If I'd read it in 2005, I don't know if Wikipedia would have been as well updated and it would have just been like, what's this posh twat talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Can you, if you were, if I was the captain and I was supposed to sky it over the bar for a penalty, I would just like curl it into the top corner like a complete peach. By accident, I think. Like you, like, you like, genuinely would try and sky yeah, it and then accidentally ream it in the corner. Yeah, I think that would be my level of, of football if I get booted out of the Corinthians. Yeah, me I too. Anyway, so, I think it's I think it's laughable that... Um, let's just go back to this article. I think it's laughable that that spirit... Anyone should expect that sort of spirit in sport hmm. to that level. Um, anyway... Uh, so, uh, do you? Man. What do you think? Do you, I know? Do you think that footballs? Do you think we're idiots for being football fans? I, I mean, there is certainly an element of it where, um, in my getting into my late twenties now, compared to how I was in my early twenties, I'll be more likely to because i'll have been like the whole week i'll have scheduled a lot of my life around when sporting events are on and then if something is proposed i'll be like ah but the arsenal game's on at five thirty, so how are we gonna do that and it's only in the last maybe two years or so that i've started to be like well i'll just miss the arsenal game fuck it so like certainly nothing happens if you don't watch <laughs> if you don't watch the game, nothing bad happens. Like you don't need to watch every single 
game. Like, I, I, I don't think that any of the players care at all whether or not you watch. So there's a kind of like weird fanatical devotion that people put themselves through to to do this. And actually, it doesn't matter at all, does it, really? Yeah, well, I think, uh, uh, I mean, I, I texted you earlier this season watching like Arsenal play away at Carabag in, on a Thursday night in the Europa League. I just WhatsApped you, why am I watching this? <laughs> and you WhatsApped me back. I think you said basically like, I don't know, but I am too, and it pretty much sums up being an Arsenal supporter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, I got, also am. <laughs> yeah, a thousand things that I could do that are more important and I probably would enjoy more, and in sort of all levels of rational and irrational like analysis would should do something else. And yet I'm still just watching Arsenal play like a pointless dead rubber game when we've already topped the group. Hmm. I remember an ex-girlfriend of mine said something about how like she was surprised that she could even date someone who liked sport because it's such a big waste of time. And I, I remember thinking like what do you think that this existence is? Like what what is the meaning of anything? It was this like really deep existential <laughs> moment in me that was like do you think that there's like relative worth of things that we do in our lives and if you, I like choose to read a book then that is more worthwhile than having watched the Arsenal game or if I like go and practice piano and gain a new skill then that's more worthwhile than having watched the Green Bay Packers and certainly I think that people would accept that that's true like everyone would go oh you decided to learn French and you're free time instead of watching like Brighton and Hove Albion every week. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's really much it's a much better thing to do. None of it fucking matters. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Why do we relativize things that we do and our overall existence? That's that's my question to you. Well, what one of them? It's like fits the the thing that you're supposed to do now, which is like fashionable to like um, be into personal growth and to like have things that are unique about yourself that are like special talents and be someone who like loves learning and is like open to experience. All of this stuff is stuff that now has social prestige in a way that it never used to have. Yeah. Um, so that's probably some of it. Like, whereas you're right, sitting sitting on a sofa watching Arsenal is not improving yourself in that sense, really. Um, but not at all. Like, like, like you say. Like, I mean, depends your your level, your, where you put your lens, right? If you're looking at the level of like, you know, the uh, evolution of life on Earth and how we're just like tiny little blips in a time and nothing's gonna stick around for very long, then yeah, nothing matters. Very absurdist, and I didn't think we'd be talking about absurdism on the podcast about sports, Callum. Now I'm feeling a little bit depressed, but it doesn't matter, does it? Because nothing matters. So. Just do what makes you happy, though. Yeah. Why, why, are, why are sports so maligned in popular culture? I don't know anyone who doesn't watch sport themselves who has a positive opinion about the watching of sport. I know it's like a. I think that what part of what it is is that it's so 
so many people do love sport and then these people feel like it's everywhere and and because they don't like it it's like some sort of it's an annoyance to them you know like people you talk hear about this a lot about men who don't like football being really frustrated about like the chat at their office or whatever is about football and how they can't join in and everything seems to revolve around football and it seems to annoy people so when you're in that position where you feel like you're outside this thing that everyone else likes it's easy to just be like well that thing's fucking stupid mm. whereas in reality we're just people who who like different things like if you like to curl up with uh and read you know a tract on philosophy in your spare time then well fine that's what you like it's i don't i don't understand it personally people just like different things and there's no reason that sport should be seen as but that's my that's my view on the whole thing i mean i i certainly think that there's just like We've talked about it a little bit already, but the the sort of like general overreaction to the idea that sport has become this like commercialized cancer on popular culture and, you know, capitalism. Like it's like people have just noticed that capitalism has taken hold of sports whilst football clubs are worth like multiple billions of pounds. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, actually sport was the bad guy all along. It's like, well, no, I can. It doesn't matter to me if, if you know, they're making a profit on this and and the whole thing costs a lot of money. If I'm enjoying it, then it's still a worthwhile endeavor to me. If you want to get tickets to go and see the Eagles, that's going to cost you 110 pounds. Like everything in in the world costs a lot of money now. If you want to do anything in public. Hmm. It's not just sport that is monetized. It's like all forms of popularly consumed culture. The cinema is expensive. The theater is expensive. Concerts are expensive. Like, I can't remember the last time I looked at any sort of gig ticket that wasn't upwards of £60. I know that. Yeah, I think that that is the the argument to this piece, which is like, why are you doing, why are you spending your money on this stuff? Well, who are you really to say what I like? And it's basically as simple as that. You know, like I watch football because on some level I do kind of like it. Even when I think I don't like it, I do like it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. What's your money for? Like, what is your money for? Once you've spent it on food and all the things that you need to survive, surely if football or cricket or anything is your passion spend on that that's fine i'm in a very so, peculiar so what mood aren't i what's going yeah. on here? <laughs> you've just you know what's fucking brilliant is that you've just told me your new year's resolution is that you want to be like more like happy and like positive and you've just gone on this huge like nothing fucking matters rant <laughs> it's not that though it's like i am being positive because i'm i'm saying just do whatever makes you happy. Just do it. Yeah, no, you're right. That let's is stop positive. questioning yeah. it and let's stop assigning moral values to pastimes in this crazily class and gendered way. And just, like, if if you're happy, then do it. And assume that people who spend £60 to go to a Chelsea match are still making an informed decision to do that. Do I think it costs too much? Yes. Does it yeah. bother me that much? Not really, if we're being brutally honest, because I choose mm. to not actually spend my money to go to football games very much. So it costs a bomb. Mm. It's fine. So 
this piece when it came out in 2005 it was immediately followed by the fans response to this piece and i'm going to quote one response and to remind us the piece was called football fans are idiots yes so football fans thoughtfully responded and there's a big long list of replies anyway this is an anonymous response uh quote for the sports own good i hope that a backlash is just around the corner just a brief aside Speaking from 2018, 19 now, actually, 2019, there is no backlash just around the corner. <laughs> Power of hindsight. But people Sorry, still seem to be wishing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, maybe it's intense, the intense excitement of the ashes. But football, the first thing I ever fell in love with, seems duller than it's ever been. The outcome at the top level is predictable. The players are unlovable. The wall-to-wall coverage is taking overkill to new extremes. And the importance of money to the game is strangling it. How many club chairmen could you name 20 years ago and how many now? So I quoted that because that is the response I think chimes most closely with how I feel. So I think I can relate to that kind of thing in the sense of, especially the football seems less exciting than it used to, to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you mentioned the Champions League. I think you mentioned once on, on this podcast that you know Champions League should feel like the pinnacle of the sport, the best teams playing against the best teams. Sometimes I've just it doesn't feel that way, and I end up just not watching a bunch of Champions League. Mm. Doesn't seem to have the same allure because I feel like I'm just watching, you know, one oil state compete against another oil state. Mm. And you know, is this why the NFL seems a bit more interesting to me at the moment? Because what the interest there is is more in about how the teams are set up and the decisions taken and less about you know the money that the teams have and in football it seems like as soon as a team's and a fresh team starts to emerge it just gets like pounced on a strip you know of all its good players like monaco the last couple of seasons dortmund it happened to them <laughs> happened to a few spanish teams like valencia had that they were in the champions league and then you know they sold david villa they sold david silva juan mata <laughs> And now where are they? Malaga had that team, you know, that we bought a couple of players. Santi Cazorla, Nacho Monreal, Isco. Isco was there. He got sold to Real Madrid. Demi Chalice went to Man City. You know, like, anytime there's something vaguely interesting that happens, the big guys pounce. And do you think it is, there is something about football that you are, it is slightly shit that it's these teams that enjoy dominant performances. They're doing it without, they're not doing it. It's more exciting when teams are dominant in a game where there's like all these equalizing mechanisms, like the draft and salary caps and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm a bigger NFL fan than any other sport, so I'm slightly biased, of course. Um, but you know, there is. If you think of the the playoffs, where the top teams in the league go through to then go into a knockout tournament to to try and get into the the Super Bowl. The, the turnover of teams from that in year to year is very high. So whilst you have mm-hmm. the Patriots have been this kind of like dynasty that have managed to win a shitload and have been in the mix every year, you know, the team mm-hmm. that they played in the in effectively what is the Super Bowl semi final, the AFC championship game last year, Jacksonville, they uh, I think they won four games and lost twelve games this year. So they were absolutely shy, you know, so I think they were five and ten, but you know they they were they went from being the at worst fourth best team in the league to being the fourth worst team in the league in one year, and that's not an uncommon thing to have happen. Um, mm-hmm. The Packers were in the semi-finals, 
they're not called the semi-finals, but I'm making it easier. Um, and had the same thing happen in a two-year stretch, you know. So these things, if they equalize in different ways. So if if one team has got all the good players, they can only have them for a couple of years because then the other teams will be able to start bidding for them and offering them contracts. And everyone's got mm. the same budget to start with. So, right. you know, like it's like the poorest yeah. team sets the budget for all of them so they can all attract so if you know if one team had all the best players then they can only have it whilst those players are under contract which is typically like two years you manage to to keep all the best players and then suddenly they'll start to disappear because you can't pay them all the most money and i think if there's one thing that we've learned from the last 15 years in all sport in the premier league in particular is that like players just go where the money is. So I I think it's easier. So the Patriots they get a lot of a lot of people don't like the Patriots. But is it fair to say that their dominance is kind of more impressive than say Man City's dominance 100%. or Chelsea's dominance? Hundred percent, right? Because you you can just look at them and you can just say because of all the equalizing mechanisms, you can just say fuck that Bill. What's his name? Bill Belichick. Yeah, he is an amazing coach. Yeah, no question. And he has an amazing team and they get the draft right and they get their transfers right and they have they just whatever they're doing to run the club is amazingly skillful and really good. Yeah. And you can just look at them and enjoy them for that, even if you hate the Patriots, right? You can't that you can't look at them and just say you've just bought the league. Yeah. Yeah, right? no question. Which is not what you can do with football. With football you just look at it. I mean, we're we're fans of Arsenal, and Arsenal have more money than ninety eight percent of football teams, right? You know, we don't have as much as the ones who win the league, but you know, we, we're still in an incredibly privileged position in terms of money. Mm. Anyway, yeah, that I mean, none of that's got anything to do with like sportsmanlike behavior and the Corinthian spirit and whatnot. But that's if there was one thing about football, that that would be the thing that I change the money in the game is the biggest turnoff. Anyway, right. I don't think football fans are idiots for paying more, though, if they like football. No, do what you want. Do what makes you happy. That's what Callum White Positive in 2019 says. (laughs) With his more energetic voice. Do what makes you happy. Shall we move on to the next segment, Andy? Absolutely. Let's move on. I sound like a, a very camp like boat performance like i'm on a cruise ship don't I? you sound like you know if you were involved in some sort of public speaking thing on a school trip the children would be heckling you for your enthusiasm doing bingo for the oaps okay i've got a really good segue you ready okay go for it so the next story is called darting farting no, that can't be your story because that's my story. <laughs> no, is it? Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, what? No, I put it in the in the thing. Oh well, we both saw this, and it was it was made for the Great Underreaction podcast. So, you go for it, Andrew. Okay, right. Okay, so I saw this. We probably maybe saw this in different places. I saw this in the on the Guardian's review of sport 2018, and the quote of the year is from Gary Anderson, who's a darts player. The quote is. If the boy thinks I farted, he's 1,010% wrong. And he, this was Gary Anderson, upset by uh, 
the suggestion that he used a fragrant egg smell to throw off his rival Wesley Harms at the November Grand Slam of Darts in Wolverhampton. Harms said, it'll take me two nights to lose this smell from my nose. <laughs> so basically, uh, one dart player is accusing the other of uh, leaving a little fragrance up there just in, for him to go and stand in the middle of while he takes his next shot. And um, I read this article. You maybe have a different take. But for me, there was an actual question to ask on the basis of this yep. story. What do you think yeah. it is? What is the most distracting thing you could do in sport <laughs> or something? It was, what's the greatest conceivable advantage you could gain from farting in sport? <laughs> so I had a real deep think, and by deep think, I mean I spent less than two minutes thinking. <laughs> but uh-huh. um, I thought darts wasn't so bad because there's no time pressure, right? You could just take a moment, let the air clear a bit, and take your shot. That's true. Right? As far as I know, there's not, not according a time to, Not according to um, Wesley Harms, who says that it will take two nights to lose the smell from his nose. <laughs> yes. So I think, I don't think that can be possibly, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, there's a place where your opponent is going to have to stand. So it's kind yeah. of like ripe for farting in that space. But then again, there's no time pressure means maybe it's not that big an advantage. I thought about snooker. I thought the opponent's in the chair, so their head is kind of at the right height. And if you're bent over right in front of them taking a shot, you could let one off. And then the advantage comes by causing such anger in your opponent. Right. Okay. But that I thought, then I thought that's high risk because you could find what you're about to do so funny that you put yourself off your own shot. Um, <laughs> so, too busy thinking about the fart, he's missed the pot kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought the less risk averse, ver- the re- less risk version of that would be if you're changing ends at tennis and they're sitting down there. I seem to have gone for your opponent sitting down <laughs> so you can get right in the face and you get up before them and as you walk by, you just, you just one. drop one. <laughs> drop one. And again, a similar thing, the anger, you know. Um, right. So you've not gone for the actual fart so much as the indignation at the fart. You can't think of any situation where noxious, noxious, nox, I can't say it, noxious fumes would create the problem, no? Well, well, I had, um, those were sort of negative. Uh, I wondered if there was a way of having farts as a motivator. Um, um. The situation I thought for that was uh, number eight in the scrum. And... It, they're right at the back of the scrum, so that motivates your team to move forward more urgently. Yeah. And then I thought there was loads of interesting questions around that, like how can you, as an elite sportsman, guarantee your consistency of fart performance? Yeah. So there's a lot of issues, right? You have you have to have one there ready to go for every scrum, and it has yeah. to be absolutely rancid. So there's <laughs> lots, of, <laughs> lots of trade-offs with like, can you, how can you have that and also still perform in other areas of the sport and, you know, trade us with good nutrition and, you know, physical conditioning. You can't be too bloated if you also yeah. have to run about. Um, that was the only example I could think of where it was like a good thing that you, you know, you use the fart to gain a positive advantage. I'm not sure that farting right in the face of your number eight is a good, is a good no, thing. No, no, if you're the number eight, you're right at the back. So like you're, 
if any, oh, so you're feel, using it yourself yeah. to feel like you're propelling yeah. forward. It's like a cloud. It's like a cloud is behind you, and you desperately. Right. Get, if you get pushed back in a scrum, you're going further into this cloud of fart, and you have to get forward. So I think that um, I've spent less time considering this than you. I think that there are some interesting assumptions. The first assumption is that you can withstand the smell of your own fart but it is terrible for your opponent. <laughs> Which is quite interesting. That if you drop a really eggy fart, you're fine, but your opponent is put off. <laughs> Which I think may be true, but you know, really you need to unpick that deep down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the idea that <laughs> you just put forward for the snooker one, that if you did a big fart, you would find it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you just put yourself off. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think I guess if if the first assumption is true and you can cope with your own fart, then I guess squash is the most <laughs> place to because 'cause you're like literally yeah. hot box yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I never thought of that. But that is just such a putrid thought. <laughs> Because they already smell, like squash courts already smell, don't they? They're kind of like old man sweat. Mm. Um, I can't think of any positive situations for farting. I've got, I've got one more situation that this one made me think a lot about physics. Yeah. So if you're the lead rider in the peloton, just as the sprint finish starts, if you drop one then, then you've got a huge advantage potentially but then i thought if i'm cycling along at 45 miles per hour i don't know how long the you know is the peloton going to move through the fart like is the fart come out at 45 miles per hour with me like and then how fast does that speed decay does like the fart move with the peloton is that the same physics thing about like if you throw a tennis ball in the air when you're on a train what what speed is the tennis ball going at? Yeah, yeah, you know, except it's it's less. It, in my mind, it feels more confusing because it's a gas in a gas that's it's stationary. A, yeah, yeah, it's not a solid object, so it's not just gravity; it's dispersing. Yeah, it's like one gas. In, it's like a fast moving gas in a slow moving gas. Yeah, what happens then? I don't know. So that's a really difficult. Yeah, did you solve the answer? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, if anyone if anyone can solve the answer, then I will buy you a pint. A cyclist is uh, cycling at forty five miles per hour. They fart, and this, so we would need to establish the speed of the ejection, so the velocity in which it comes out. Is the speed then just the speed at which it's ejected plus forty five? Well, it would, not. it would be, so let's take the simplifying case. Let's say that you fart directly backwards, yeah. like directly opposing your forward velocity vector. That's true, because you'd probably fart at an angle, wouldn't you? If you assume, if but you yeah, assume let's say back, that it's, assume it's going straight backwards. Then there would be, then it would directly counter the 45 miles per hour, right? But then it depends on how much mass, mass that your fart has. Why would it directly counter the 45? Because you're firing, you have some force to push it backwards with your, with your, however you fart muscles. 
<laughs> however far in work. I think you'll find that the term is anal sphincter. <laughs> like, it's the same as if I throw a tennis ball over my shoulder, right? It would be going yeah. backwards relative to me, but if I'm already traveling forwards 45 miles per hour, someone at the side of the road would still see it going forwards if I don't yeah. throw it back with enough force, right? But that's the, that's the question. Yeah. Yes. Right, answers on a postcard. Okay. I don't um, think we really asked the question properly, but someone might. I want to know if a cyclist <laughs> is going at 45 miles an hour and they fart directly backwards mm-hmm. uh, and the fart is at a standard velocity for farts. When it comes out, yeah, the standard fart velocity is 30 miles per hour. I think that's true. Then <laughs> what is the... <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? You think that's true. <laughs> okay listen i was at oxford for five years you just need to sound like you're confident then what speed is the fart going at let's ask your brother i bet daniel will know let's we, ask your dad we don't, we're not asking him he already thinks this is the stupidest thing i've ever spent my time doing <laughs> more stupid so, than watching football probably. i don't know actually Okay, but that's the question. Anyone who can answer it, um, I'd I'd love to know. Thank you. I'll buy you a pint or a non-alcoholic beverage of your choice. Shall we? Uh, shall we go on to trope of the week? Uh, yes. Okay. Let's do that. Okay, so this week's trope of the week is the general concept of bedding companies making you think that you've got a chance. And more specifically, there's been a lot of adverts recently which feature the concept of the better's savvy or betting using your gut instinct or anything that implies that you might know a little bit better. So betting companies have ludicrous amounts of data and then gigantic computers which crunch them all. And then they advertise to you that's like, but you've got to like, feel for these things, don't you? You sort of know. So you should take us on. Give us a tenner and we'll give you seven to one. And it's just like everything that ever represents the idea that football punters have a chance. Right, good. I like this a lot because it involves one of my favorite things, probability and statistics. Yay! Oh, it's math <laughs> it's time! time. Oh. I listen to a lot of American football podcasts and uh, in American football, they've got um, fantasy football betting, which is like, um, it's like fantasy football, but you you spend salary and pick players and then bet like three dollars and then the players if they score a touchdown or whatever then they get points and then if you finish in the top echelon of players then you win money and the adverts for it because <laughs> they read them out on all these podcasts to listen to and the the guy will go like fanduel is for the fans don't know anything about fantasy football then fanduel is for you and i was like if you don't know anything about fantasy football then professionally betting is probably not your uh, thing to go uh, go ahead and do. Like, don't place 
financial wagers on things that you're not an expert on. Yeah, especially not something like I can imagine fantasy football where, let's say, uh, you know, it's a running back. You need running yards, right? Yeah. But you don't know if your team, that team is just going to decide to not play a running game for the next three games for tactical reasons yeah. or whatever, right? You know, it's like so many variables that could go into screwing you over. It just seems that anyway, yeah. It, it, the the point about betting is that there is no no betting company could exist if they didn't win. If they didn't, if they didn't win constantly and consistently, consistently on average, they win, right? Which means that you yeah. betting will lose on average eventually if you, unless you have some clever ways of not doing that. And now the thing is that people do gamble professionally and are very successful. And the people who do it are people who are like you, right? They have PhDs in statistical methods and working with large data sets. And they understand probabilities. So there's actually someone at work who does this in his spare time. Actually, quite a few people at work. And they are having to now, they bet now on really weird things like the Kazakhstanian second division because they've been banned from like... (laughs) a lot of different betting companies because they win too much. Um, and then betting companies just ban you because they're like, you're winning too much. And there's no rule yep. that says they have to let you win, right? If you have a system of winning. Some of it's really interesting. So the basic premise is, right, that you um, that they have, the betting company has all this data and of historical things that have happened, right? And they have this huge data set so they can see how often are upsets likely to happen, for example, and they use all of this historical data to, to give you odds that they know are slightly more in their favor than what they estimate the true odds to be, right? Yeah. You say slightly, but significantly. Yeah. So, so they estimate the true odds and what they think the true odds are based on the historical data, and then they give you worse than that, right? And then yeah. that's how they make money. Um, they do it with, like you say, algorithms and, and statistical models, and they train it in the history, and they think that, you know, what's happened in the past is indicative of what's going to happen in the future with certain assumptions, right? Like teams change and teams evolve. And so that you weight more importantly, our recent results are weighted more highly than results from one year ago. And they're weighted more highly than results from three years ago and so on. There are a bunch of ways you can game the system. One is to, if you, uh, the companies don't just set what odds and then just say, those are the odds for this game. They also react to how many people are betting, right? Yeah. So that's called line movements. Yeah. So if lots of people bet one way, then the company will hedge and they'll they'll change the odds to make the opposite thing seem more attractive. So more people bet on it, right? So that means that they're they're hedging. So whatever happens, they're likely to. It's not going to be too severe for them, right? Yeah. So say Arsenal are playing against Man United, and Man United are three to one to win, and Arsenal are also three to one to win, and everyone bets on Man United then despite all of the data that they have su- suggesting the same thing, they will reduce the odds on Man United down to something really negligible. Yep. So if you put money on them, then you'd only make a very small percent of return on investment, and they would incentivize financially placing money on Arsenal yep. so that no matter what happens, their books are balanced. Right, on, the av- on average, you know, on average. Yeah. So they, they, you know, a betting company might lose money on any one game, right? But the the point is in their models, on average, they will win, right? 
it's not saying you can't win a bet and you you can't get money off a betting company you can right but it's on average right um so the way the way it works is like like i said before like if they they think there are the true odds and they offer you slightly worse but then this other thing comes into play which they're moving the odds in response to demand and that's where their weakness is so if if i've got uh, unlikely odds of one team and then that keeps on like you're saying take your example let's say everyone was betting for man united so they decrease those odds. So they get even further away from what they think is really going to happen. But the other odds get closer to what's going to happen and, in fact, can surpass it. So they're expected, the expected result. So they can give you, because they have to do this hedging thing, or we don't have to, but it's good business to do it. They do this hedging, which yeah. means that you get, a better, you get better odds than the expected odds which is how you can win as a better. So what you have to do is, which what these guys have do is they track, they track the odds, right? And they track what it was initially set at, and then they track how it moves. And if it starts moving one way, they'll try and estimate the point at which it's the moving the furthest and it's not going to move anymore. And then they'll place their bet, right? Yeah. And that's, and then they've got, they've basically, they wait for the move for the company to start hedging and then they capitalize on that. And that's one way of, that's just one way. There are a bunch of other statistical ways you can do it. But the point is um, that is very different from you you having a bet and play gut feeling while you're sitting around drinking beers with your mates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and them also suggesting like, it, it kind of goes back to the, like, you know about sport more than the nerds do ideas of like, right. So a bunch of people are sitting down with computers and everyone, you know, the computer says that Man United are going to win, but like you've got a feeling that Arsenal will be up for this one. So like your, your odds seem better. Like your intuition seems better than the numbers. And it just never is the case. The numbers are like, when I over time so consistently, right? But it's so it's part part of the the trope of the week. Really, is the is the way in which this is marketed to people. It's a common theme. Cor, Coral have got a series of adverts just now that say, uh, "Don't bet smart, bet savvy." Like you are in the position where you can game the system. Mm. There's another one that goes like. Your smarts say this, and your gut instinct says this. And it's like your gut instinct isn't a real thing. Your gut instinct has no idea about any of this. Your gut instinct is filled with a 100,000 biases. Mm. But they're marketing the idea to you that that's a legitimate reason to, to bet on things. Like five years ago, Ladbrokes were running this huge campaign where they, they created the different types of better and one of them was like the numbers guy. And one of them was the like happy-go-lucky take a punt guy. And I mean, they're all men, obviously. Yeah. And and you had to identify which one you were. And it made the sense, it seemed like all of those things are legitimate. When actually gambling absolutely punishes anyone who doesn't do it very seriously. Because what Andrew was talking about with the line movement the money that comes in there is usually done by consortiums of gamblers who are in possession of huge amounts of data. And they know the same information or close to that the betting company knows. Yeah. And then they place a huge amount of money. Yeah. So you're, pay, you're playing 10 pounds. 
they place fifty thousand pounds, it changes the odds. Yeah. You know? And that's how it works. So they, they have their data, which is expensive by the way. So you need capital to get into this business. Yeah. First place. The the data is is the streams of data that these betting companies have cost enormous amounts. Opta, if you look at how much it costs to get the Opta stats, it's eye watering. Eye watering because of this potential of what you can do with it. And so how it works is that they know they know when the company is hedging and giving you worse odds than the expected odds. And giving you, sorry, giving yeah. you better odds than the, the expected odds to incentivize you to place bets there because they're trying to hedge and make money over a whole system of bets, whereas you as the individual are trying to make money off just a few bets here and there, right? So it's like the weakness of the betting companies is that they have to hedge and that's exploited by these people who are very savvy with numbers. Yeah. the I mean, the the other point to make there is that the people with that amount of financial outlay can also game the system in the same way that the betting companies do, where they go like, I can afford to lose five bets because I'm placing 30. Right. Whereas you can't do that on a sample size of three bets. It's too, the noise is too high. Yeah. yeah. And they have, and they have good. They have a good idea how the expected number of times they're going to lose, right? Because they have a good idea of what the true odds are, right? They have an yeah. estimate for the true the odds, right? The extent to the extent that you which you believe there are is such a thing as the true odds, right? You might disagree that the true odds even exist, right? But they have data that that let them know, you know. So they they will know the odds themselves are a probability, right? So they know how yeah. many they're likely to lose out of any. Say they bet. 10 bets they know from the odds of each bet they can figure out very easily what their expected win will be and what their expected loss will be and as long as they have the capital to absorb the variation around that then they'll be fine in the yeah. long run the difficulty is like is what these people at my colleagues at work have found is that they get banned um yeah. so they, they end up betting on very strange things but it all works the same right it's not unique about football it's like any sport you know it's like japanese yeah. bet on japanese baseball Right, because the companies don't really monitor Japanese baseball to the same extent, and these guys are just bat betting just for this. You know, um, I think one guy said he earns a few thousand pounds a year doing it. Right. Yeah, it becomes a problem when you start making hundreds. Yeah. The other thing that that's happened in the last, I, I'm not sure, maybe five, six years, is the proliferation on things that you can bet on, which really increases this like divide of knowledge yeah. where they'll go like, right, we'll give you odds on how many corners there will be in a match. Yeah. And you just have no fucking idea how many corners there are going to be in a match. So why are you placing money on whether there'll be over four? Because the odds always look really good, right? It looks like they can't possibly be any better because it'll be like 50 to one odds, right? Yeah. But there is a... <laughs> there could be... That is guaranteed to be actually worse than the true expected number of corners, right? You know, you know, if let's say it's eleven corners, the probability of that might be one in a hundred, but you get offered one in fifty odds, which is tw uh, twice as bad as it should be, right? Yeah, and actually, the the problem is as well that you have no idea how many. I mean, I must have watched hundreds of football games in my life. I have absolutely no idea what the average number of corners in a game. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I have no idea. I've watched hundreds of games. 
If you told me it was four, then I would be like, yeah. If you told me it was nine, I'd be like, I can see how that would happen. Yeah. Those are wildly different. And then what they now can do is that you can stack your bets. So they were running accumulators for a while, uh-huh. which are based really on the idea that people have no idea how much your probability starts to skew towards the bookmaker's favor as soon as you combine things. So you're like, right, I've got this bet, which is at three to one, this bet, which is at five to one, and this bet, which is at four to one. Those are all not completely unlikely to happen. And they give me combined odds of 20 to one. That's really good. When actually the reality of those things all happening it's like way closer to two hundred yeah. to one. You're you're multiplying you you're multiplying up that gap between the true odds and the expected odds. Every time it's getting more and more in the betting company's favor. Every time you're giving them more chance to win, basically. Every time you add something yeah, to exactly. your simulator. And oh and every time as long as so long as it works in the fact that you need to win everything or you win nothing, that's just gonna be I mean, it's a complete cash cow for betting companies, I'd imagine. That's why they sold accumulators so big because the odds look really juicy, and now they can you can sort of accumulate your own bet, and I like right I'll bet on number of goals to be over two point five, number of corners to be over seven point five, and then you say to them what odds will you give me for this, and you just make up some random shit bet, <laughs> yeah. and they go right so I'm gonna say the. Danny Rose is going to score first. There'll be seven and a half corners. There'll be more than four and a half yellow cards. And someone will be sent off. What will you give me for that? And they'll go, oh, we'll give you 200, 200 to one for that. And you go like, 200 to one? That's fucking loads. If I put a fiver into this, then it shows me a grand. Oh, yeah, let's go for that. Yeah, that's good. And like the actuality of that happening, they're processed, you know, Algorithm has said, right, the odds of that happening are five and a half thousand to one, but we'll give you 200 to one. The inequality in betting is absolutely bonkers. And so every single trope, every single advert that I see just now suggests that the bettors have some sort of agency which resides in their gut instincts or their feelings or like any sort of instinctual process in the betting process is is a complete joke um right so we just need to do predictions now uh have you got a prediction callum yeah you go first i do I've, i'm so i'm a little, little controversial for me i'm gonna go for a prediction that i already predicted mm-hmm. in one of the first episodes of this podcast I predicted that um, the Patriots would decline and the stories about Tom Brady being finished would start to come out. Um, now, what happened was we went back and had a look at it and I was wrong and then I became right and then I became <laughs> wrong again because uh, the Patriots <laughs> are in the playoffs. They have the first round bye, which means that they won... Um, so many games that they were one of the two best teams in their division, and so they don't even have to play the first round of the playoffs. I think that wh- whomever plays them in the in the second round of the playoffs 
is going to do them and that the like end of the Brady Belichick era is here stories will start to emerge and the decline of Tom Brady or has Tom is Tom Brady done will Tom Brady ever win another Super Bowl has Tom Brady still got it all of those stories will pound our whole off season I have seen some of them, kind of. You know, they're tentative at the moment, right? They're like, his stats are down yeah. this season. They're like, it's not Peyton Manning territory yet, but it could get there. Yeah. Right? Is, is it the slide? Yeah. Right. So, the, yeah, exactly. That's very good analysis from you with, like, the proper people and everything. You've learned a lot I've, in a I've, year. Yeah, not even a year. Just really from the start of the season, which is September, right? Things I've read, it's been like, uh, when quarterbacks get old, their performances seem to go off a cliff rather than yeah. a slow decline. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe yeah. he will go off a cliff. It's interesting, though, because I'm interested why you think that's going to happen, given that the Patriots have such good record in getting to the playoffs and performing and then upping their game in the crucial crunch matches. I've just got an instinct. <laughs> have you got some fucking savvy, Callum? <laughs> It's just, it's when your gut speaks and meets. Uh, but you're not putting money on it, I hope. So I, there's a combination of factors here, really, which means that the Patriots can have been bad and also get to the, the buy. Part of it is that their internal division, so the way that it works in American football is you play the three teams that are in your division twice, and then you play other teams once. Yeah. And the way it panned out is just that their their schedule becomes very easy because the teams that are in their division um, were all garbage. Oh. They were legitimately garbage. <laughs> Why are you so, saying it like um, that? <laughs> garbage. Garbage. Do you not remember when I used to say no, garbage? I, I, I must have blocked that from my memory. Oh. oh. If Rowan listens to this, he's going to be excited by Garbage making a reappearance. <laughs> um, and so they they had some squeaky narrow victories, and and like there are ways to win games without Tom Brady winning them for them. He's he's mm-hmm. fine, but he's not one of the best ten quarterbacks in the NFL anymore, which is a big decline from the guy who won the MVP or the Most Valuable Player Award right. for last season. Right, um, but you know, part of it is just I think wishing that he will fuck off <laughs> and take his take his supermodel wife and go off into the sunset and stop plaguing the the league, because like all sporting fans, I resent continually successful athletes. Okay. Well, solid prediction there, Callum. I'm, I'm... That was me bringing my positivity <laughs> and my energy and my enthusiasm. New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Um, okay, so my prediction is about Manchester United, who have, well, can we please just take a moment just to lament, truly lament the firing of Jose Mourinho because... More than the loss of content for this podcast. We did not get to watch the wheels truly come off the Manchester United vehicle. And I feel like it's been taken away. And I'm really upset. There were plenty of moments where 
Jose Mourinho. Was <laughs> Sorry, just completely. to be clear, when are, when are we taking the moment? Oh yeah, let's just take it right now. Sorry, and and <laughs> I was sitting there with my head <laughs> bowed, literally. Okay, no, no, let's do. And you just sorry, I forgot about the moment. Okay, here we go. Let's just and just first start the moment. Start the moment and finish the moment. There we go. I hope that I hope everyone enjoyed that moment. <laughs> That's a good moment. Anyway, so sorry that's happened. Solskjaer has come in. There's been a raft of articles about Solskjaer, and he's like revitalized this team, and he's you know unshackled, unshackled the team, the Manchester United team. Mm. So I'm not sure exactly what my prediction should be. I'm tempted it to be. I'm tempted to make it because they're playing Tottenham away. Uh, I think they might get humped. And then all of the goodwill is just going to kind of seep away. So at time of recording, they are 2-0 up away to Newcastle after 89 yep. minutes. Yep. That's fine. I mean, you should be able to beat Newcastle away. That's nothing surprising, right? They, what Man United did was they waited until they had a run of easy games for their new manager. So their last... So uh, Jose Mourinho was fired on the 17th of December... And then after they lost 3-1 yeah. to Liverpool, which in light of Arsenal's recent performance seems like a good outing for them. Um, and since then, they have played Cardiff, who they beat 5-1, Huddersfield, who they beat 3-1, and Bournemouth, who they beat 4-1. And they are now beating Newcastle 2-0. Yeah. So what's your prediction here? Right, well, I'm thinking, I think that it's going to be so easy to write this, so it's going to happen. It's going to be that Solskjaer is the embodiment of the Manchester United way of reckless and dynamic yeah. attacking football with wide players. And isn't it amazing that he's got that job and look at them fly and there's going to be not enough attention. Class of 92. Yes, and he's also blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we could play bingo with phrases that would be in it, right? Anyway, um yeah. Uh babyface assassin, for example. Anyway, yeah. uh I think that these articles will overlook the fact that he's deliberately been parachuted in for this run of games that were eminently winnable. Okay. And you think that Spurs I think Spurs will, will, will beat, beat them, them, but I don't think it would stop the articles probably. I don't know. But yeah, I think Spurs will beat them. I think if Spurs will beat them, I think that this is, is a lot of conjecturalization now. But and many variables, which is unwise to do when betting on the future. But I reckon if they get beaten by Spurs, especially if they get pumped, there'll be a story that's like, why uh, Pochettino, Pochettino showing why he should be the boss, and Oli is just the yeah. caretaker. Yeah, probably that's a really good. That should be my prediction. Oh well, no, it should have is been that your prediction. I'll go with my one, but that, that was a better one. That can be yours if you want. All right, let's let's wrap it up then. Listen, if you listened to the episode, then let us know. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed on all your channels, and uh, and happy festive time to everyone. And and hope you've had a really really restful period, and you're ready to attack the new year. I uh, echo all of your sentiments there, Callum. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, are you happy? We can fade out over all this bullshit. Let's stop this. 
you can you can do whatever you want in post. Whatever you like in post. I read the news today, oh boy. About a lucky man who made the grade. And though the news was rather sad, well I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph He blew his mind out in a car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood and stared